Welcome to Learn Buddhism. I'm Alan Pito. Buddhist cosmology is something that confuses Westerners to the point of disregarding it completely. We have different heavenly beings. We have different realms of rebirth. We have different units of time and understanding of worlds and universes and dimensions. Why does it all matter? If Buddhism is really all about transforming your mind in this lifetime, then where does Buddhist cosmology come in? Why do we even have it as part of this religion? Was it just added after the Buddha's death? Was it something that just spoke to some people and that's why we have it now? Why does this exist in our religion? And does it have any true purpose? That's what I want to talk about in this episode today. As Westerners, we have sometimes a very challenging mindset, and we like to apply what we believe is being the scientific mindset to things. If I can't prove it, or I don't know this truly exists, I'm going to disregard it completely. And Buddhist cosmology comes into play there as well. Because it's something that sounds so supernatural, so out there, why? Why is it here? And what's its purpose, right? And this is something where I feel that Westerners are losing a very rich part of the religion because they just want to focus on just the black and white, bare bones essentials of Buddhism, such as I'm just going to meditate or I'm just going to read the scriptures. And that's all I need to become enlightened in this lifetime. All this afterlife rebirth stuff or all these different realms and all these different beings it's just useless it means nothing to me and it means nothing as it relates to the true buddhism that i assume buddhism should actually be so when we look at what the buddha said in the sermons whether you look at the pali canon chinese canon for example you see that he talked about different beings and he actually had, like, devas come and listen to him, and he would teach them. Well, why is that inside the sermons, right? He talked about different units of time that makes our mind boggles, which I'll talk about today. He talks about these different existences, and so his past lives. And why is that all there? I like to relate all of this in a very practical approach in one way. This is all talking about samsara the cycle of birth and death is talking about impermanence dependent origination karma these core fundamental buddhist teachings that are really important for us to understand because if we just back up a second here the buddha is trying to tell us you have to break down this belief this false belief in a permanent unchanging independent self which he says does not exist we are impermanent we are ever-changing, and we are interdependent upon other things. But because we are ignorant to the truth, we live in this delusional state, and we're consumed with greed and hatred. And this is just causing us to be trapped in this cycle of rebirth. And it's causing us to create all these actions, karma, that is a catalyst for just being trapped in a cycle of rebirth, which is, he said, is dukkha. Impermanence is dukkha. It is not satisfactory. So when we look at Buddhist cosmology, it is a very visual representation of what he was teaching, but it's also showing how your actions, your karma, 
plays out in many different ways. Now, right now in your existence, you are temporary. You are impermanent, just like me. We are a temporary grouping of things called a five aggregates, and it works so seamlessly together in something called Nama Rupa that we believe we have this self. And that results in this fuel to start clinging and craving to things and this delusion we have of the world we are living in because we're ignorant to the Buddha's truth and fundamentally what it means. And because it is this self, the self is just constantly keeping us in this cycle, right? So when we're looking at that, we're thinking really much in our life right now, we don't really see anything beyond just the existence that we're aware of. The Buddha talked about prior lifetimes and prior existences that he had. So as a fully awakened, enlightened being, a Buddha, they are able to understand and see their past lives. And actually, he talked about these, and we have it in his past life tales, which are very, not only interesting, but they're also teaching moments. They're showing uh, his bodhisattva path. It's showing morality and conduct, generosity, compassion, all these different things that are very important inside Buddhism. But what's very important about this was the Buddha stopped. He could have kept going on and on and on to always pass lives. He, he felt this is it's pointless to keep going back because it's not going to really help us. So he gave us a glimpse at some of his past lives as teaching moments, but he didn't feel it was really important to keep going on in which he could have. And he also had a very expansive understanding of the universe and existence and everything to the point where he wouldn't answer certain questions about it. He understood it, he knew about it, but he didn't feel it was important to talk about at that point in time. So for you and me, we have been going through the cycle of rebirth for a very, very, very long time, a, a time period that is unimaginable, uncomprehensible to us right now. It's that vast. So the Buddha gave a uh, teaching where he said, just imagine like a, a boulder or a rock that's like 19 miles wide, right? And imagine you had a feather. And every 100 years, you would just brush this gigantic boulder with that feather until that boulder was completely worn away by that feather every 100 years, right? These are units of time we have in Buddhism. And for you and me, I don't know about you, but for me, I can't even imagine the length of time, right? But he's saying that, you know what? These things have been going on for a very long time. And this is going to be very important when we talk about Buddhist cosmology. So time is important. Our universe is important. These existences are important. But understanding that we are just at one part of this very, very long story. So I'm going to start off on Buddhist cosmology, talking about the realms of rebirth. But before I do, I want to give you this imagery. I'm sure you've all seen Buddhist mala beads, the Buddha beads, right? Wearing your wrist or, you know, the, the longer ones that are 108 beads. So you can think of rebirth in this way. The string that's connecting all the beads on there is karma, store consciousness. This is the thing that continues on in the cycle of rebirth. It is not a soul or a self, but it is something that casually connects all these ex existences. So my prior existence is not the same as this one right here. There's nothing fundamental 
that came from that prior existence to the existence that I'm in right now, except for karma, the past fruition of it, traces of it, and the future potential of them. And it's a store consciousness, this this casual connection between them all, which is what's linking the beads on that mala bead, on that mala wrist bead, if you will, or the 108 bead one, right? Those little beads are obviously independent of each other, right? You know they're all separate. They're not part of the other bead, right? But they're all connected on this long string. And so just imagine that string is not tied off. There's constantly a bead being put onto it. Can be another bead, another bead, another bead. Now, each of these beads can have their own qualities. Some could be very nice beads, a very fine wood or a, a, a very polished stone, for example, or it could be a very rotten piece of wood or just, just not right. And these are all our different realms of rebirth that we might be in the what's happened inside them, the, the level that we're born into. And so that's a good place for us to kind of begin because when we're thinking about what we're doing as Buddhists, we're trying to break that string, if you will. We're trying to stop it. We're trying to make sure no more beads can be added to it. So that means we are stopping the cycle of rebirth, which is very much like being a prisoner. You know, you're, you're chained to it and you're chained to it because of your karmic actions. You are just like clinging and craving to things. You just can't escape it, right? And so we're trying to stop it. So these realms of rebirth, we have six of them inside Buddhism. And they are things that we have likely at one point or another all been inside. They all have different time periods inside there, right? Some you can stay in there for a very long time in existence and other ones may be relatively short. The important thing about all six of them is they are all impermanent. That you don't stay in any one forever and ever and ever. It's not like a, a infinite period of time you stay inside there. So you may hear some things that sound very much in your Western ears like other religions where you're like, well, that's going to be forever not inside Buddhism. The only thing that's forever is being trapped inside this cycle of rebirth until you end it. And that's what the Buddha taught. So the very first cycle or realm of rebirth we have is the devas or God's realm. And this sounds very much, you probably have the imagery going right now, like devas, gods, right? And we sometimes call this the heavenly realm. And there's many different ones, and without going too complicated into it, there's different layers, if you will, or levels. And so there's like ones at the bottom, either closer to our world, if you will, and our kind of existence, and ones higher up. But it's sort of like a pleasure-filled type realm. Now, even though that sounds great, this isn't permanent. This being reborn inside there is a result of your activities, Right? Just imagine your human realm right now, the existence that you're in right now. Are you compassionate? Are you generous? Do you have loving kindness? Are you practicing wholesome qualities along the Buddhist path? Are you generating good and merits? These are likely more conducive to helping you being reborn inside this heavenly realm. And so we may look at this almost like a heaven, if we will, in, in our Western years. But it's not something that you stay inside. Can you advance up it? Of course, you know, there's, there's higher levels, but it's not something that's meant to exist in forever. Although periods of time inside here are extremely long. So our understanding of time 
is different than other realms. So for example, what may be one year for us, maybe, I don't know, just like a second or something for them, or even less than that. So we're seeing where our period of time is almost going faster than theirs is, but theirs could also be a lot longer. So that's why it may seem very, oh, those are gods, they're, gonna, they're just living forever. Not so, it's, it's still impermanent. And impermanence, as the Buddha said, is still dukkha. So even though they're inside this pleasure-filled realm, it's still dukkha, they're still trapped. That's why you saw, or we read, I should say, inside the Buddhist scriptures, that the devas would come down and talk to the Buddha to have him teach to them because they want to escape the cycle of rebirth also. And before we kind of leave this realm, how can the Buddha see devas? Because we can't see them unless they make themselves visible. But even then, that's kind of pushing it. So a fully awakened enlightened being like a Buddha has this what's called divine eye. They can see almost these ones... I don't want to say they're, they're form or formless, but basically not something that we humans can typically see, but they can, uh, Buddha can see it. And also, when we're looking at these heavenly realms, there's a particular one where bodhisattvas reside in, especially right before they come to earth. So if we look at Shakyamuni Buddha or Gautama Buddha, so before he became, Siddhartha became the Buddha, he was a Buddha in his prior existence in a heavenly realm. So through his meritorious activity, through his wholesome karma, his compassion, generosity, loving kindness, vows, all that, right? He was in a heavenly realm, and he was destined to be the next Buddha. So he resides almost, if you will, like in his waiting room. Not the same, but he was almost like in his waiting room. And he decided his heavenly realm, and he decided when the right time for his rebirth in the human realm, which is our next realm coming up, where he was going to be reborn in. Because for a Buddha to exist, they got to get to this human realm to help others. Now, is there celestial Buddhas? Yes, I'll talk about that in a second. But this is where we see Shakyamuni Buddha come into being first as Siddhartha Gautama, born into this realm because the Bodhisattva decided his rebirth, his next existence, next one, not current one, next one, was going to be inside the human realm. And so that's a really important part. So we're looking at kind of like these heavenly realms as like a permanent thing in our maybe our Western mindset. Not so. They are impermanent. And especially for Bodhisattvas, they're kind of like a place that they're going to, but they're going in and out to our realms to help us but also looking ultimately as a Buddha to come to a human realm. So that's our second one, is the human realm. And a human realm, that word human, we're thinking homo sapiens, right? You and me. Well, human means essentially dissenting beings that can determine their karmic activities. So it's just not human beings, is when we're saying the human realm. There's a many world systems inside Buddhism. Like, you know, we obviously in our quote-unquote scientific world, we haven't proved the existence of any other species outside of our planet except for us. But in Buddhism, it's recognized there's like billion world systems. And yes, there's multitudes of sentient beings all throughout what we can conceive of. And we're talking about not just the vastness of space and our universe, but dimensions and everything else, right? It's things we can't even wrap our heads around. So human is kind of like a term we're using for kind of like all these type of sentient beings that can do that. So the human realm 
you may be going, well, there's suffering here, but sometimes you're happy, sometimes you're not. It's, it doesn't feel like a really good realm to be inside. But we saw where the Bodhisattva, who became Siddhartha Gautama, came to this realm. Why? Because they become a Buddha. And that's a really important part as well. If you look at the imagery of a lotus flower, which is very symbolic inside Buddhism, that's mostly growing in this muddy, cloudy water. You can't even see it, you know, just buried inside there. It's not until it breaks the surface of the water that flower opens up and it's just this beautiful lotus flower, right? Not even dirty. That is all symbolic of Buddhism. That nourishment of the muddy water was not pretty, but is nourishing that future flower. So what we're experiencing here, our ability to shape our karma, decide upon doing meritorious action, doing wholesome karma, the decisions to listen to the Dharma, to understand it, to practice it. All these are things we have under our control, even though we may not always do it. We do have the power, and we saw that was the Buddha, we saw that was his enlightened followers, we saw his bodhisattvas. So this is a very, very powerful realm where rebirth is actually desired. Now, imagery of that lotus flower as it breaks the surface, enlightenment, right? It blooms, all right? Okay, that's our enlightenment right there. That is all due to this existence, this realm right here. So you're not really going to get that up in that heavenly God's realm. That's too pleasure-filled. You're not going to get it in the lower realms. That's just too sh- stressful. You're not really even hearing the Dharma. It's this human realm. It's so rare. And that's the thing that's repeated all the time in Buddhism, that the human realm is a rare opportunity and existence to understand and practice the Dharma. We often squander it. I'll be very blunt. We often squander that opportunity. We're too busy with work or this, or maybe, you know, there's something on TV, or I want to watch this movie, or I want to go travel. So whatever the excuse is, we don't really practice Buddhism. We don't feel we have that urgency to do it. The Buddha, in many of his sermons, showed the urgency. It's very much a urgent matter that the Buddha was explaining. Why wait? Why are you waiting? Right? And he would very much do very illustrative descriptions of this, almost like you're going into battle. And so why is he being so emphasizing this so much, right? Because this, don't squander this opportunity. This human realm is that nourishment. Don't let it go to waste. Then we have like this demigod realm right below. And this is sort of like, not the same as devas, but they are something that's always quarreling or combating or going to war, if you will, or fighting with the devas in this god realm. And this is sort of a realm you don't want to get into because when you go to these lower realms, you're kind of looking at like the three fires or three poisons, greed, anger, ignorance, delusion, right? And so what are they? They're being hateful, right? You, you don't want that. Or the animal realm right below that. It's a very hellish realm where you're always acting on impulse and instinct. No, that's almost like greed, clinging, right? And they're not understanding. They're not hearing the Dharma. They can't help themselves. we got a hungry ghost realm. This is, you can almost imagine that imagery. They can't satisfy themselves. No matter if they're hungry, if they're, you're craving that, or if they want this or that, they can't satisfy themselves. So it's a very stressful environment because they're clinging and craving, but they can't satisfy those attachments. And then ultimately, there's a hell realm. 
And so, again, our Western imagery of hell, oh, I'm going to be there forever, all impermanent. All of these realms are impermanent. The only thing permanent here is that you're cycling through them all based upon your actions. And so this hell realm, we obviously don't want to get down, and this is the one where if you violate any of the five precepts, for example, that is pretty much going to be maybe where you're going, right? So we don't want evil karma. We don't want bad, unwholesome karma because this could ultimately be a place we want to go to. Now, these lower realms, the ones below the human realm, they're not hearing the Dharma. They're not practicing Buddhism. They're not able to really free themselves like we can in the human realm or even the devas who are listening to maybe like a Buddha or a Bodhisattva being able to free themselves. So getting down to these lower realms, not advisable is not what Buddhists want. So if you look at the half billion Buddhists around the world, these realms of rebirths are important because they are trying to generate good merits, meritorious activities, wholesome karma to be reborn in the human realm in a state where they can continue on the practice, the path of Buddhism, or advance up to that deva's realm or the heavenly realm, so they can continue practicing as well. They want to stay in the realms where they can still hear the Dharma, where they can still practice. Because if they fall down to the lower realms, they got to burn off their karma before they can continue on in the cycle of rebirth. So for example, if you're in the animal realm, well, you're not even aware of Buddhism, but you have to burn off whatever karma that brought you to that realm before you can move up. And so you see where being reborn in the lower realms is not advisable because it's not going to be beneficial to the Buddhist path. Now, you might be going, well, that's all a very nice story. You know, prove that these actually exist. You're not going to get this empirical evidence that proves any of this. You, you can't get that. And that's not what Buddhism is about. There's things inside Buddhist cosmology you're not going to prove. Can it maybe be proved one day scientifically? Who knows? Maybe. But that's not the point of it. You can also look at these in a very everyday aspect, right? And that's not the purpose of it, but you can also look at it this way. As you are going through your, your day, are you being compassionate, loving, whatever, right? Maybe you're in the devas or, or human realm, right? Maybe you're just like so consumed with hatred and anger. Maybe you're in the demigod realm. Or maybe you've done something that violated precepts, just, just evil, right? You're going to be in a hell realm. So your mental condition, mental state, can cycle through these realms of rebirth. Not in the literal sense, like we're talking about after your five aggregates, your current existence fades away. We're talking about it also in that mental aspect. So where do we want to be? Obviously, we want to be in our mindset, in a realm that's conducive to the Buddhist path. Now, all of this, whether you believe in it or not, is part of Buddhism, both Mahayana, Theravada, it's, it's all part of that. Now, why it's so important, as I mentioned you know, a few times already, is because we want to make sure that our path is consistently on the road, the direction towards enlightenment. And if you follow the Buddhist teachings, which have wisdom, it has your morality or conduct, it also has your concentration or meditation inside of the threefold training. This is helping get you there. Or maybe Mahayana tradition, the six perfections, right? Or in, in general in Buddhism, the eightfold path, which includes the threefold training. This is all gain us 
directly towards enlightenment. Does it happen in our lifetime? Maybe, maybe not. So that's another thing inside Buddhism. I gave you that illustrative example of the Buddha with the feather and that big boulder, right? We have long periods of time in Buddhism called kalpas. And, and so these are infinitely long if you want to think about it, almost like an, an eon. And so everywhere from 16 million years long with a traditional uh, general type uh, uh, kalpa up to like nearly a, a trillion years. And it's so hard for us to understand. But the most important thing to understand is where it was known to be inside the fortunate and right now. And this is where Shakyamuni Buddha and current teachings that we're following, but he's the fourth Buddha in this eon. And there's been Buddhas before him. So there's like 28 Buddhas before him, right? And you just think about this vast amount of time we're talking about, right? And what we're going to have in this eon, in this fortunate eon, because this is the best one right now to become enlightened. After Shakyamuni Buddha's teachings go away, we're going to see another Buddha come into being called Maitreya. And so that's the next Buddha. Remember I was talking about that heavenly realm where the devas are, right? So that same heavenly realm is where the Bodhisattva Maitreya is right now. And as soon as the conditions are right here on earth, where the current Buddha's teachings are long lost and it's ready for him, he will become the next Buddha of our era. And so what will happen is he will... That exists as the Bodhisattva right now, that's ending. His new existence will be manifested here physically inside this world, just like Siddhartha Gautama. So we have this continuous cycle going on. Buddhist cosmology, everything's in cycles. Very, it, it just The impression that we have of the universe and world is very much shaped by our limited understanding of it. I don't understand everything. Science doesn't understand everything. We're trying very, very hard to understand things, but there are things that we still can't understand or see or, or know. And so with Buddhist cosmology, it's all about us understanding how this intersects, if you will, with our religion. And does it reveal to us these different beings and different realms and different time periods? Absolutely. There's also what's called Buddha fields or, or pure lands, very big in Mahayana Buddhism, where basically a Buddha, through their Dharma and reward body, can have like, almost like this field around them. If you look at Shakyamuni Buddha, right? When he was on this earth, manifested on this earth, was his manifested body. He, was, he did have a Buddha field around him too. That's why there were so many people became enlightened around him. But when he went to Parinavada, final Nirvana, we saw that enlightenment kind of dropped off, right? It's called the age of decline. So it's very much recognized in all of Buddhism. Yeah, you know what? Becoming enlightened on this earth is going to be pretty rare because there's no living Buddha. Where we have his teachings, but he's not here to, in his manifested form, teach us. And so it's very, very challenging for sentient beings like you and me to become enlightened. And so when we're looking at that, well, what can we do? So... A lot of Buddhists, uh, especially in Theravada, are looking to Maitreya, the next Buddha. And we're talking about a, a very, very, very long time away. Like, we still have Shakyamuni Buddhist teachings right now. They have to be lost, and there's a whole series of events that have to occur before we see Maitreya. So in Mahayana, it's recognized that we have uh, a lot of help out there, right? We got a Celestial Buddha, so there's Amitama Buddha, so there's different pure lands. And these are these Buddha fields, right? They don't have to exist on this earth. And so the very famous Buddha is 
Amitama Buddha. Oh, there's, there's others that also have pure lands. It's this Western pure land by Amitama that anybody who sincerely vows and recites and wants to go to his pure land can. And so these pure lands, they sound very unusual. Like, what are we even talking about here? Like a, a different world, different dimension, different universe. I think it's hard to explain where it's at or, you know, in scientific terms or anything like that. But the concept is you can go and learn under the guidance of a living Buddha and Bodhisattva attendants and Dharma teachers in this conducive environment. It's like a training ground. It's like going to like the best university, college, whatever in the universe, right? You can go there for the sole purpose of becoming enlightened, awakened. Because in the Mahayana path is the Bodhisattva path. And the Bodhisattva path is the same path that the Shakyamuni Buddha took, where it went through countless lifetimes of the Bodhisattva and then became a Buddha. So in Mahayana, becoming a Buddha is the ultimate, right? So this training ground is helping you become a Buddha, which can take a long time there, but it's the best, best way to actually do it because you're under the guidance of a living Buddha and enlightened beings. So these pure lands are extremely popular. In fact, it's, it's the most popular form or practice, I should say, of East Asian Buddhism, like in China, Vietnam, etc. You also have independently inside Japan, pure land schools. So it's extremely popular in that way. But it also has a mental component to it as well. So these are considered literal places you will be reborn into, but also impermanent. It's not like a heaven. You go there to train, and then you're eventually going to go back, for example, to the human realm to become a Buddha and maybe one of these countless worlds out there. But you also have this mental component. So like in China and Vietnam, this is very much part of the meditation school as well, where it's all intertwined. So we look at Amitama Buddha as your own internal Buddha nature, and pure land as almost like your mind, almost like nirvana, right? So there's different, the three different levels, if you will, in pure land. Uh, for most of us, it's going to be trying to be reborn inside Amitama Buddha's pure land. But if you could actually do it, you can become enlightened here on this earth. And with that, you realize your own true, if you will, Amitama Buddha, your own in, internal Buddha nature. And you have your own pure land, which is a pure land of your mind and yourself. And so that's really the ultimate, but extremely hard to do on your whole, own in this existence. Now, all of this, as I mentioned, seems very far-fetched to some people. It may be very confusing to some people. You don't have to go, oh, I absolutely understand all of this right now. Or, yes, I agree with you on all of this. That's perfectly okay. Just realize this is part of Buddhism. It's, it's not really separate. You know, it, it is part of it. Uh, just meditation, just doing maybe this or that, just reading scriptures. That's not Buddhism. There's a whole reason why we are so invested, so interested, so devoted, the effort put into Buddhism because we want to escape the cycle of rebirth. And that doesn't mean this existence right now because this Buddhist cosmology is teaching us there's a lot more going on. And the reason we practice, there, there has to be this urgency. And the urgency is understanding periods of time, realms of rebirth, these existences, these beings we can be reborn into there. If we don't practice, we don't do this, we can fall into these lower realms. Whether you want to think about that mentally, like your mental states, but more literally, these different realms we can be reborn into, that is going to be detrimental 
uh, to yourself on a path. And so this is not to be scary in, in that way, but as I mentioned before, in all of Buddhism, like with the Buddha and everybody else, there's this urgency for people to practice. You are being exposed to the Buddha's teachings, which is rare. There's periods of time where there is no teachings, there's no Dharma inside the world. And we're going to experience that again um, in, in the far future when Shakyamuni Buddha's teachings are gone, where we don't have it. We have it right now, even if you can't be enlightened in this lifetime, in this existence right now. You are setting the conditions that progress forward. And I'll leave you with this thought to kind of tack onto that. As I mentioned before, the Bodhisattva who eventually had his next rebirth inside this land became Siddhartha Gautama, who became Shakyamuni Buddha, the Buddha of our era. That was accumulation of countless, countless, countless existences. And throughout those countless existences, an extremely long period of time, Bodhisattva, 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 Bodhisattva. So there was this vow, there was this identity that a long, long, long time ago that he would become the Buddha of our era. He would become a Buddha, essentially. And so with that, set out this long series of events, beads on that, that string, right? You can also set forth on that path right now. Now, as I mentioned, there is uh, Mahayana and Theravada are two major traditions right now. In Theravada, its goal is to become an arhat. We have all these, um, we have cosmology inside Theravada as well. Uh, but basically, you can end your existence, uh, the cycle of rebirth, you know, if you will, uh, through, your, through your efforts in this lifetime uh, with Mahayana. Uh, it is recognized that, you know, this is going to be a long path here because the goal is not to be an arhat, it's to be a bodhisattva and eventually uh, on that path towards becoming a Buddha, just like Shakyamuni Buddha did. So just different ways of doing it. Both are rooted inside the Buddhist teachings and different uh, aspects of Buddhist cosmology. But I think the more you listen and learn about Buddhist cosmology, the more it, be, it, it will make sense in some ways, but also gets you that urgency to practice Buddhism. I hope you enjoyed this brief introduction to Buddhist cosmology, which is actually more vast and complex and mind-blowing than this very, very short episode. But I wanted to talk about the realms of rebirth and periods of time in pure land briefly, just to kind of introduce you to some major things that Buddhists around the world factor in to the Buddhist religion and their religious practice as it relates to Buddhism. If you have any questions, I'd like to hear back from you. My website is alanpito.com, where you can send a message. You can also reply on Spotify to this podcast if you'd like as well. And with that, I will talk with you in our next episode. Thank you.